Welcome to an hello and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very Very Bad Things podcast. I'm your host Peter, and I <laughs> I'm still here. And tonight, the 15 year old version of me is legitimately wetting his pants over the fact that I am with Black Dahlia, Black the Impaler, Black the Ripper of the Dwarves. The kings of sleazy rock and roll punk. They are the band that should have made it in the 90s when Green Day and Nirvana and all of their contemporaries were making it to the mainstream. This is not to take anything away from Green Day, Nirvana, uh, Bad Religion even, or any of the other bands they played in the same era with, in the same spaces with. The Dwarves had something that was dissimilar from all of those bands, and that was the fact that they exemplified the decadence and the uh, abandon of rock and roll. I know to some people that can be off-putting, but if you put that aside and give yourself over A, to the music, and B, to the spirit in which the music was created and really listen to this conversation with Blag, you will understand that it is not meant to hurt people or to make you uncomfortable, per se. It is meant to make you want to shake your ass and dance at a hardcore show. And that they do. Now, if you've been paying attention to my... Instagram or Facebook uh, recently a couple little things went down that kind of rubbed me the wrong way and I'm not going to get into it but suffice to say I flew off the handle and, and made some grand declarations that I'd like to apologize for again because I'm not going anywhere I have no intention of leaving you all as long as you're here to listen I will be here making this show happen for you. So, if you do love this show, and I know people cry about me uh, self-advertising, but no one else is out there advertising for me, like, subscribe, you know, 
join the fun, share stuff on social media, let your friends know that you dig the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I would greatly appreciate that. You will greatly appreciate it if you like the show, because that's going to help me continue to do the show. Make sense? I thought it might. Anyhow, Black and I have a great time together. A lot of laughs. Um, We get into some territory that maybe you wouldn't expect Blag to feel uh, any sort of passion about. But we do. And it's well worth the ride. This is a great guy. This is the type of dude I would hang out with with no issue letting people know that that's my friend. And I stake my ass on that. So, without further ado, I give to you Blag the Impaler on the book of Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. This episode of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast has been brought to you by our sponsors at Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is a PR collective that values people over profit. They put a different spin on public relations by working primarily with friends and using all profits to aid charitable organizations. With a roster that includes Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Brainiac, Get Some, Funeral Date, Damien Dunn, and many more artists, record labels, and podcasts. Sweet Cheetah. That's a great PR cohort. You can find them on social media by simply searching Sweet Cheetah PR, and they'll be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hey, Blag, how are you? Hey, what's happening? How are you, brother? It's great to see you. I'm feeling strong. Sounds good. (laughs) This new record is a motherfucker, man. <laughs> at 20 songs, nonetheless. Uh, concept album, is it? I don't I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> it's all very fucking good. If if being a great album is the concept, you've achieved it. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, I go back to... <clears throat> I was probably 14 when Blood, Guts, and Pussy came out. I shouldn't have owned that fucking record of 14 years old, but... <laughs> Young See, punk we thought you know? had to masturbate to that cover. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, what's really great is like you guys never kind of got away from that aesthetic. That like the, with, with a few exceptions, like "Thank Heaven for Little Girls" is obviously a little more <laughs> inferred, uh, nasty. Right. But um, for the most part, well, that, you know, and that 
people used to get that joke more. Thank Heaven for Little Girls was a pretty famous song from the musical Gigi. Yeah. And so if you knew about musical theater, you, you got that it was sort of an off-color joke. I think yeah. now it's just like, what the fuck is this? You know, like it called a record. Thank, thank Heaven for Little Girls. You know, it's just kind of, you, you, you know, sometimes jokes <laughs> over the years will kind of deteriorate in the uh, intelligibility. But... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we never said, oh, we've grown up now. We're different now. We we don't agree with this anymore. Like, what, what I always tried to do is expand and evolve and at the same time never lose that lowbrow humor and, and, and just, like, always have some dirty hardcore songs and always have some just nasty lyrics. And, you know, because that, that's in, inside me and it's important. Like, I know... I, I, I always hated it when like some band would have some great fire breathing record and then every record thereafter would be like them getting a little mellower until finally, you know, like it was something like the replacements or whatever, where it was like, it was really fun when it started. And then after a while it was like, we can be just as boring as all the other group, you know, it was like, but, but, we, but we still get drunk, you know? And it was just like, ah, you know, like how about we put it in the record? You know, how about we put it in the record and we don't, we don't fucking chicken out, you know, we, we got it. And I love the replacements. They're great. But, it, oh, yeah, but it's like, you know, that was just a band that left to mind with like, you know, or like the Goo Goo Dolls or whatever. You had these bands that were like, you know, they were pretty okay. And then they, it was just, everything was like, we're evolving. You know, it's like, well, you, you know, you don't have to fucking evolve in that way. You know, there's all kinds of ways to evolve, you know, especially like as your records go on too, like you guys involve, there's, hip-hop aspects to certain records oh yeah it's it's not like you didn't try other things it's just that uh you continued to stay in the same milieu and had a good time doing it it's not like you ever put on a dwarves record and say okay well you know what this you could tell they they were phoning this one in i never got that impression well i'm glad yeah i mean i think you know i'm very proud of all the records we've made i mean i think you know, there's different songs you like or different albums you like, different times you hit it. I think this one, the concept album, is really an important record for us. And it's very kind of like our white album or something. There's a lot of variety and a lot of different places it went. And I think we really hit it hard in, in this one, you know. What was what was the intent going in? Just basically that, like we're going to like make our white album? Mm, no, I mean, it, you know, I had I had a few things recorded before, maybe three or four songs in various forms, but I wasn't prepared for the avalanche of material that was going to come from everybody. I mean, Fresh Prince of Darkness had four tunes, you know, uh, you know, uh, Rex Everything, you know, Nick, he had another four tunes. Um, and then, you know, Salt Peter had a track and Josh Freeze had an instrumental and I had a bunch of songs. And so, you know, we get in the studio and pretty quickly it was like, fuck, man, we got a lot of material here. Um, and so we thought, well, let's make a double album. You know, because it, it was partly just how efficient we were in the studio. We got 12 songs in uh, the first day and 12 songs the second day. Jesus Christ. And, and so then at that point, it was like, well, we already had a couple in the can from various things. And then it was like, well, shit, it's still early today. Why, why don't we make some shit up? And we literally made shit up in the studio. You know, it was three, another three or four songs came out. So by the end of it, it's like, fuck, dude, we got 
we got 30 jams here. Like, what, what are we going to do? And, uh, you know, we were going to do a double album and kind of make it like the White Album. But, you know, I, 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 I sequenced that and I made that. And it actually turns out um, that's uh, 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 the CD is going to be closer to what the original concept was. It's like a different mix of songs and and it has everything that's on the record plus several things that aren't and so that's kind of closer to the original double album view but you know at the end of the day double albums are just kind of frustrating for people i think i think it's better to just make a little bit tighter single record rather than make a whole double record now they just don't they just don't fly the same way i don't think you know so um yeah it was uh really it was just an embarrassment of riches there was a lot of good stuff there and a lot of times when a, a band has a bunch of extra material there's a lot of filler uh, but in our case it was like there wasn't that much from any given guy it was like you know it, it, we, everybody came in with four or five like really strong things and so at that point it was like fuck there's a ton of great material here and so yeah that that sort of turned out to be the concept you know it was also post-COVID, I think a lot of people had a lot of materials saved up, you know, so, oh, yeah. uh, um, you know, it was that kind of thing. But what's interesting, though, is you're saying, like, different songs coming from different people within the band, yet it's all very cohesive. It's not like, hey, the drummer wrote a song, we're going to let him do this to keep yeah. him quiet. You know, everything kind of matches that same ver ferocity, the same efficiency that the dwarves yeah, always kind of right. bring to the table. You know what I mean? I think you're right. I mean, that's, you know, if I have a skill here, that's kind of what it is, you know, is, is like sort of, I write a lot of stuff, but also I kind of make it all, I take other people's material and make it dwarves, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a, a another skill, you know, a way of like tying things together and, I'm always conscious of like, what does a song do in terms of dynamics and in terms of being small and then getting big and then being small and getting big. And I think it's the same thing for the sequence of a record. You know, the way you tie it together is very important to me. I like the, you know, I grew up with records like Abbey Road and shit. This is a certain way that they tie together that is important to me, you know, and so that um, you know, that's when I can tell that everything's swimming in the same ocean, you know, and some of the stuff that we didn't put in there is a little different stylistically. And so we're, we're going to put out a 12 inch, maybe about a year from now that has a couple remixes from, from concept album, but has like seven songs that aren't on there. Some of them will be on the CD. Um, but it, so that kind of gives you a different taste on vinyl of a different record that hits some different points and again i think that's important to people you know instead of just being like okay this was all the shit that wasn't good enough for concept it's like no this actually was good enough it just didn't fit in exactly on vinyl you know and so there's yeah there's different moments in there you know and that's our that vinyl already sold out well oh. yeah I, I was very gratified at that you know we made these special versions with you know, one of them it came with a, you know, special Cornetto vinyl and it came with a game, the Who Killed He Who game, uh, which John Gentile, as uh, a buddy of ours, uh, created. That was really fun. And then there was another version that sold out where it was like kind of limited blue vinyl. And that one was, 
uh, it had like a Sergeant Pepper's takeoff, which I thought was great because it's like a concept album, whatever that is. And and so you know it sort of tied in, and uh, you know, and it tied back in. Sergeant Saul Peter's been doing more stuff with us. He was the original bass player in the group, and so it was sort of Sergeant Salt Pepper, and it was all all these weird things kind of tied in, you know. There and what's kind of funny about that too is there's always been this thing with sympathy for the record industry and Long John Gone with with Sergeant Pepper's. Like he's always had like a, a tie to that. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what where it all came to be for him, but you're pat's association with them too i'm looking at it and i'm like there's kind of like a, a synchronicity going on here with all of that yeah well i love john you know i haven't spoken to him in a while i, I don't think he really puts out records anymore but he uh he was a great guy and and uh still is i'm sure and and he you know he his vision for his label he wasn't trying to own people's master tapes which is very rare in music you know for the most part people are always trying to own all your shit and you know it's it's uh, very uh um there's a lot of unscrupulous bullshit so it's cool when there's when there's somebody like like um like john who is uh you know a good guy and he's not trying to own all your shit at the same time you know it was a weird label because like there was no staff and he didn't even have an answering machine, let alone like a cell phone or anybody to answer the phone. I mean, it was just like, you were lucky if you caught him and then you could do, do something. <laughs> I mean, that was just the John way, you know? So uh, he, he's a fascinating guy. I, I give him a lot of credit. I, b I believe someone should write his autobiography at some point before. They made a movie about him. They made a movie about Long John Gone. Yeah, you should see the Long Gone movie. Uh, it's interesting. I, I spoke a little bit in it. Um, he, yeah, he's a fascinating guy. He did things in a really interesting way, you know. And he caught a lot of shit from some of those Michigan bands that I don't think quite understood what a good deal they were getting from him. Um, uh, you know, so, yeah, it was uh, it was weird. Uh, um I think probably now they understand. Once these people fuck around with major labels or other kinds of indies, then they realize, oh shit, this guy let me own my own master. Like nobody does that, you know. So I, I think John deserves a lot of credit for the way he did business and also for the way that he really put a premium on cool art and making things look good. You know, a lot of labels just put out any old bullshit, you know. That's what I found cool too, is the fact that you guys are basically self-released at this point, correct? Or, yeah, well, I have a label called Greedy, and then we, uh, um, you know, we're distributed through MVD, and so they kind of get it out everywhere and to the bigger distros and the, and record chains and stuff. But yeah, it's like my own label. I I couldn't stand having anybody tell me when I was done with a record, you know, and and it's like I don't need your fucking little loan. I got money, so I'll just make my record, and you can wait till it's done and it's ready and then we'll put it out you know it's like and you guys got to kind of run that whole gamut because you kind of started off with what was to become like the premier indie label sub pop and then kind of travel all those circles check out epitaph this label that label and it, it, they're all kind of the same in the end with with exceptions like yeah like, well 
in in terms of the deals they make you sign, I think that's true. They are all the same. And there was a big scam in the 80s and 90s with so-called indie labels acting like they were different than majors when they were making you sign the same deal as the majors. The only difference was you didn't get any money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas the people that were went to a major, they got a fuck deal too, but at least they got some cash and they were able to do something. You know, these indie labels are like, hey, we're scrappy. You know, like, yeah, in other words, you're making me sign the same bullshit deal where you own this forever. You know, I was very disgusted by Sub Pop and a lot of the things they did. Epitaph was a little different because they were more started by an actual musician. And, you know, it was a funny thing because I remember talking with the Epitaph guys and, and them saying, yeah, you know, we called the Sub Pop guys and we said, man, you know, how are you guys doing it? You're getting all this attention and blah, blah. And they were talking back and forth. Then they realized, oh, fuck. <laughs> We're selling five times as much as these guys. They're just getting a lot of press. And that was really the thing, you know. Sub Pop got a lot of press, especially in Europe, about how sophisticated and interesting everything they were doing was supposed to be. Meanwhile, labels like Epitaph were outselling them by, you know, by, you know, orders of magnitude and just doing it very quietly, selling it to punk rockers and people that were into it. And, you know, even to this day, I find the Epitaph people just easier. To, to, to deal with I, I the way I dealt with sub pop was I just got my records back I bought them back yeah and, they, and you know they were you know they were not cool about anything ever for 35 years and they weren't cool to the bitter end you know whereas with epitaph it's like yeah they you know they signed us they didn't do much they dropped us but there was always some kind of human connection of like, well, you guys are punks and you make records and we're, there's something here, you know. So the, the labels really are different, but it kind of starts from the top down, you know. And unfortunately, the top of Sub Pop was not ethical people, you know. I'm getting high, I do it all the time. And when I get it twisted, I get my telling lies. I hope it don't offend you like everything you've been through. I Truth, my friends, is that I lied. I'm not really gonna get.
Yeah. <laughs> and but, they never they 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 never were, you know, whereas you know, and and they didn't really move many records. They were good at hyping people about how big they were supposed to be. <laughs> but, well, yeah, they were they were good at getting their bands signed to bigger labels or deep right. si or deep sixing them, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But now here you are, self directed, self determined, sell out all the vinyl, boom, and it's hardly been available that long, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I'm happy about that. I mean, that's you know, that's what a cult band is, and I think the Dwarves are a cult band, and and I'm proud of that, you know. And and what's important to me is making a cool record and playing a cool show. It's the only thing I ever cared about. And then there's that middle period when you're like a young adult and you see all these other young adults getting rich. I mean, that was hard. Yeah. You know, I had to look at Kurt Cobain and get rich. I was like, that guy's a fucking junkie. What, you know, what's going on? Like you, yeah. when you actually know these people and you see shit and you're like, fuck, you know? And even when I liked them and thought they were talented, like Nirvana, I picked out as the best band from that group early on. They just obviously had the best songwriting of all those so-called grunge bands that mostly couldn't write a song. And so I thought they were great, you know, but it was kind of like what I didn't like was like how the, the music industry kind of magnifies shit where it was like, OK, I, I like Nirvana and maybe a lot more people like them than would like the Dwarves. But my question is, OK, so you're going to play them 10 million times on the radio and you play me zero times. Is that really what the ratio is? Is it really 10 million to zero? Because I, I don't think that's what the ratio actually is. Like even if they're a lot better and a lot more important and a lot more talented and a lot better looking and whatever it is, you know, what is it? Maybe it's a hundred to one, you know, maybe it's 200 to one, you know, maybe whatever, but you know, 10 million to zero is just kind of like, hmm, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is really reflecting anything approaching reality. And I had to watch it with a lot of bands. I liked, I, I thought green day was a really good group too, you know? And it's like, I'm glad to see somebody do good. You know, they we played with them at Gilman Street back in the 80s, you know, the offspring. And I'm, I was glad to see these bands hit. And, and, you know, Dexter's playing on a bunch of Dwarves records. A lot of these guys are cool people and they do cool shit. And they'll be the first to tell you, like, it's so random and silly. There wasn't any reason for this band to get 10 million and this band to get zero. Yeah. You know, it just, that's how, that, that's how the, the system is set up. Well, even like a, a band I really, really respect, like Rocket from the Crypt, they had their moment in the sun with a major two, and it went fucking nowhere. When, in my opinion, in all reality, they were the better of a majority of the bands that were out there on major labels at that time, because they were more rock and roll. And I think had Rocket from the Crypt and the Dwarves had the sort of hype behind it, the hype machine behind it that these other bands did, I think we'd be having a much different conversation right now because we're talking about two bands that, yeah, they come from hardcore and punk, but it's a, it's essentially really well fucking done rock and roll that still keeps that same spirit that Little Richard had way back then in the 50s. Yeah, well, I agree with all that. A lot of it is timing, you know. If Rocket would have gotten signed to Interscope in 2005 instead of 1995, they might have had a much better chance because that was when garage rock started kind of hitting and bands like the White Stripes and stuff came up, you know. But again, there's always this level of difference between me and like John Reese, another guy that I know who I think is very talented and I love his group. But it's kind of like everybody got a shot except me. 
Yeah. You know, and maybe that's just my own paranoia or whatever. But when you look at it over and over again, it's like, you know, he did get his shot. It's like Nirvana got their shot, just like Green Day got their shot. It's like a lot of folks got their shot. Yeah. Some of whom were very talented. Some of whom were not very talented. Some of whom were really nice guys and networked a lot. Some of whom sat around slamming dope all day and falling down the stairs. Either way, they all got their shot, <laughs> except the fucking dwarves who just, people just doggedly refused to give us a fucking shot ever. Because and, you, you, know, you guys had the balls to be yourselves. And I think that's the big point here is like yeah. these record covers that I'm talking about that are so, in, in my opinion, like aesthetically beautiful, but. They're they're like a Russ Meyer film, you know. They're they're a little seedy. They they're a little right. little dirty, but and sexy. Uh, that scares people. That scares middle America. Yeah. So you're not going to get into fucking Walmart with that. And I think that's yeah, a yeah. Big part of it too. Oh, that was a big part of it. The nudity, the profanity, uh, the 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 fast nature of it. You know, um, you could get away with having a trashy garagey record, but you're still going at 120 beats a minute. You know, like that was the thing with like Rocket and a lot of the garage bands, the Hives and whoever, again, which were bands that I like, but they were kind of hovering between 120, 140 beats a minute. And that's a comfortable tempo. And with Dwarves, like, you know, you get up to 300 beats a minute. People just aren't comfy with that. Then again, you know, there's fucking Slayer and Metallica sold a lot of records going 300 beats a minute. So there's always, there's different ways to do these things. But I think with the Dwarves, there were so many factors that held it back. Everything from, you know, the tempo, the profanity, the artwork, and then just people dealing with me was like, you know, I felt like I was a pretty easy person to deal with when people were honest and semi-competent. But in the music industry that you so often get dishonesty and incompetence, I would then get pissed at somebody for being dishonest about something or being or being uh, incompetent. And, you know, I'm an Italian guy. I'll get all upset and then I'm done with it. Whereas like a lot of music industry people is like, you know, I'd have one sharp set of words with them about some bullshit they did. Next thing you knew, it was like. I will never work with them again and never look at them again and never mention them again, mommy. You know, yeah. this made me so sad. And it's like, how much bullshit did you take from Kurt Cobain while he was on dope? How much <laughs> shit did you take from the guy from Soundgarden when he was the cutest guy in America and his, you know, wife was a big manager? And how much bullshit did you take from this person, that person? You know, a lot of it was like, <laughs> like in rock and roll, there's all this diffuse bullshit where it's like, Oh, the guy in the band wasn't an asshole. He just hired a manager to be an asshole for him mm -hmm. or hired this agent to be his asshole or hired this lawyer to be his asshole. And I was willing to be my own asshole. And it, people didn't like that either, you know, because then it's like an artist pretending that they know something, you know, or saying something like, well, gee, I'd like to own this copyright. I'll, I'll license it to you, but I won't give it to you. You know, it's just shit like that, where it's like, they don't even want you to know what that is. So you can be a complete asshole but if you're a junkie holed up in your room and you got handlers doing shit for you, they're okay with that. You know, that's like something that the industry can handle. But when you look them in the eye and you try and have a conversation, it's like, oh, I'm kind of scared. I don't want to deal with this guy in between. He, he actually seems to have a brain, but then he's also screaming fuck. And then he's also got a pair of tits on this thing. And then they're going 200 beats a minute. I don't, I just, I'm afraid. I don't want to do this. You know, so there was a lot of that, you know, where there were just too many factors that were scary to people. And one of them would scare them off, you know. I think there was a, 
you guys had a reputation too. I think especially when Vad was in the band, there was that reputation of being very like libidinous, like this gang of libertines taking on all comers across the United States. Right. And a lot of sex, a lot of violence, and that that was a big thing too, you know. Um which again is hilarious to me. I mean, now in this Me Too movement, you see all of these people that were fronting you know, anti-flag or whatever, all these bands that were like playing the, uh, I'm a feminist and I'm, I'm so morally pure and I'm so good. And then it turns out really that behind the scenes, there was a bunch of shady shit. I think with the doors, it was like, what you see is what you get. You know what I mean? It's like, I like to take a hit of Coke, but I wasn't a Coke addict and I like to fuck. And I came out in my songs and said, I like to fuck. It wasn't, I wasn't hiding it or, try, or you know, trying to lurk on 15-year-olds or trying to fucking, you know, uh, uh, cloak myself in morality while I was, you know, it was very like, this is real in, as far as it goes. And then it's unreal. You know, it's like we, it was, it was both like, like we played up our own mythology a lot and then people believed the mythology and some of it was true. We did get in a lot of fights and run around and do some weird shit. But a lot of it, too, was just blown way out of proportion. I mean, the whole five-minute show thing. I mean, people to this day say to me, like, oh, are you going to play for five minutes? It's like, we probably did that a dozen times out of the thousands of shows that we played. You know, or like violence. You know, yeah, violence broke out. Usually it was somebody in the crowd that was fucked up that attacked us. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. So it was like... You know, there's a, there were, yeah, there, it was, uh, it, this band scared a lot of people for a lot of reasons, you know. And even in the punk scene, which was what really blew my mind because, you know, I, I think the whole straight edge era fucked with people's heads and they forgot that we all came from, you know, the Sex Pistols, the Clash, people who were, you know, getting fucked up, having fun, running around, expressing themselves any way they'd seen fit at the time which was what I thought I was getting into with punk rock. And, you know, in, in that, like, that hazy late 80s era, everything kind of became militant in some circles. And it, it, was, it was strange. It was scary. I thought I was getting into this for, you know, the sake of freedom. And, and it turned out that you had to kind of watch your ass even, no matter how free you were. Um, and well, that's why I laugh. People talk about getting canceled now, and I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. I've been getting canceled since the mid-80s. I've been getting canceled since I was in high school. You can call it whatever you want. It's always been the same shit. Just leave those guys out. They scare us. And, you know, yeah, I've been going through it for a long fucking time, you know, and, and, uh, and then I've seen bands that had scarier images but because they had corporate backing, it was okay. You know, Marilyn Manson or whatever. You know, I mean, I remember seeing that band and thinking, hmm, you know, everybody says how bad we are. I'm, I'm looking at these guys' show and it's like, you know, trumpeting this kind of uh, trans sexuality and, and having a set that looks like the Nuremberg rallies of Hitler and fucking all this shit. And I'm like, but this is okay? And it's like, well, the answer was, yeah, it's okay because, you know, Trent Reznor produced it and Interscope's putting it out. Yeah. So having that corporate backing then makes you acceptable because it's kind of a fait accompli. You're already there. And it's like, wow, isn't this decadent and incredible? Yeah, you know, same with like Sex Pistols. It's like, well, yeah, because it's on A&M and then it's on Virgin. And so it's like, oh, it's so scary, right? But it comes to you from the corporation. 
you know, whereas like with the dwarves, you know, it was just always too hot for, for, for most people, even though, as you said, I mean, Sub Pop and Epitaph really turned out to be the biggest of their respective kinds of indie labels. So I think, again, it comes down to personal things, you know, Bruce at Sub Pop recognized the genius of this band. He just never did anything to help us. And then he left, left the label and, you know, Brett at, at Epitaph recognized the genius of this band, but he too had his own problems that went on right at the time that we got signed. And so, you know, with the best of intentions, you know, these people picked us up, but just nobody gave us any help at all, you know, <laughs> and, and, and we shot ourselves in the foot a lot, you know, there, there was a lot of that too. So, you know, it's all. But converse to that, it continues it is an entity that never like i can count on the fact that i'm probably going to get a dwarves record in five years <laughs> and, you know you and i are both you know you're a bit older than me but we're both on the wrong side of 40 oh uh, fuck yeah and and it's like 40 is young to me yeah, yeah i know it's great and 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 that's the thing too like there was always a part of me that was going well shit i don't want to be the old guy doing my old shit and it's just tired but the fact is like there hasn't been a generation of great punk bands that just make us look tired. I mean, even when we play live with young bands, it's like, I'm glad to have them there. They can go as wild as they want, do whatever they're doing. I'm going to come out and be wilder at my age, and I'm going to fucking play, have catchier songs because I got a whole backbench of songs. You know, so it's like I, 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 I look forward to the day when young bands are just blowing me off the stage and I got to go, fuck, I can't do this anymore. And I'm sure it's coming at some point, but you know, I'm pretty fucking old now. And it's like, I don't, I don't see it right around the corner. I think a lot of the creativity too now is not really with bands, you know, bands tend to suck now pretty bad and they've kind of been on a downward spiral for 25 or 30 years. I think if you really look at it, I think hip hop production really took over and it, and it's really become more like the creative people make a track. And then other kinds of interesting people will sing or rap over it and make things happen. And the whole idea of like, we need all five of us and one of us plays the drums and one of us plays the bass. It's not really a usable idea any, anymore. Especially with, with, you know, we, we were saying, you were saying before about how the double album is, is not palatable anymore. As a matter of fact, you know, since we're of our, similar age bracket we grew up with album oriented rock when especially when we were young you know the mm -hmm. album was a th it was a, a real thing we would go and spend money on a record that we didn't know what the whole thing sounded like before we bought it so we would take time to fall in love with it even if we didn't love it at first now uh it's singles nobody's really like loving the idea of a full experience of a record and that's why it's so impressive to me that you come out with a, a double album and it's fucking gone because you have your audience that's always going to be your audience. Maybe you're not going to pick up every 12-year-old that comes down the pike, but there's going to be a couple. There's going to be a few. Yeah, and you know, I, I think there's all different levels to this. Like, I believe in singles. I mean, singles is where rock and roll started and really where yeah. recorded music started, and I'm fine with that. I think you have to be able to deliver on a single. Like, okay, what's the one jam? Okay, here, here it is. You know, I think with this record, We Will Dare was kind of the single because it has a female vocal on it. It's about cancel culture, but it's got, like, a young artist singing with me on it. It's got 
uh, a very 90s kind of retro pop punk sound, which is very popular now. So for a number of reasons, that was sort of the single. And then we had the song Roxette, which is pretty short, but I felt like that was kind of a single. And so yeah. those turned out to kind of be the singles. And, and, and I'm good with that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's like if you're a writer and you know how to write a novel versus writing a short story. I mean, they're both art forms and they're both equally valid. And for me, I just always have felt that you have to do both, you know, was always trying to make a couple singles and put them on a complete record that was interesting to listen to. And I think if you go back and listen to the whole Doors discography, overall, that's really what you get. You know, you get these interesting records that work on their own terms from the early, very, you know, kind of 60s ones to the middle kind of more just very primitive hardcore ones to the like pop punk stuff of the late nineties. And then to ever since like come clean, it's kind of been this pastiche of everything. Yeah. Like, can you still make hardcore? Can you still make noisy garage? Can you still do experimental shit? Can you still do poppy stuff and hardcore stuff? And, 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 you know, so I, I feel like with this record, it, it succeeds both as a short story and as a novel, you know, and you're, since you are, I was going to bring it up, a novelist as well, with three to your credit thus far, correct? Yeah. Um, uh, you would Not know. Not that anybody read them, but they're out there. <laughs> I did. But, um, you know, I'm a fellow writer as well, so I'm obviously going to go after that uh, with a great amount of, you know, respect. But your, your writing as a novelist very much mirrors your writing as a musician because there's an economy of words but a very strong story that kind of carries it the novels forward in a fashion where it never slows down that same bpm that's in the music is also right. in these novels and and you know they're also very transgressive in nature which i appreciated and i knew i was going to get that from you <laughs> but you know you don't you have your oeuvre and you do it so well that you don't really need to you know, do that replacements thing where you slow down and write that, you know, tear in my beer record or that <laughs> you, same with the novels, you, you know? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, the novels, uh, uh, I, I don't think I've really accomplished what I'd like to as a writer because I just haven't spent enough time doing it. I mean, I got three novels over a 30 year period or something. So it, it's uh, to really do something well. I mean, like I, I feel very comfortable making punk records. I think I know how, how, how to do that. And with the writing, I'm always ready to hear criticism or try and improve it or, or, or do whatever to it. But yeah, it, it is similar terms of the last you know the second two books the first one is actually extremely wordy in a more arty way but that one was an illustrated novel i did yeah. with with mark rood and so that was sort of a different animal it's kind of painting word pictures and being very uh, surreal but the, yeah my last two things are like i i really prize like minimalism and letting people kind of fill in the blanks a little bit i don't do a lot of description you know the the house sat on a grassy embankment and, you know, with brown shutters and, you know, I don't, I don't really do a lot of that. I, I'm, I try and disorient people with, with not doing a lot of that and just kind of bringing them into the characters and stuff. But, you know, one, one thing I did do that was sort of that change again, because, you know, you, you hunger to do something different and you don't want to repeat yourself. So I finally made a solo album 
which was that uh, introducing Ralph Champagne record where I kind of made up a new character. And in the same way that the Dwarves records were supposed to be like, we're going to hit every different hard genre. We're going to do hardcore and pop punk and noise and garage and all this. The, the Ralph Champagne record was kind of doing that for the softer Americana genres, you know, country, lounge, uh, you know, a little 60s garage, a little bit of duets, a little bit of, you know, just straight pop, easy listening, yacht rock, whatever it is. And, and, and so uh, I, I felt like that was sort of my attempt to soften it up but not in an infuriating way where I'm diluting the dwarves. Instead, yeah. it's like, okay, this is my solo thing. This kind of reflects more me as an old guy and what I like to listen to and what's easier on my ears and what I want to hear. But it's still like uh, very, um, uh, it doesn't just, uh, in, in other words, like what I saw a lot was like, oh, old guy from punk band admits he likes country. So now he just is, strumming an acoustic guitar like it's an electric guitar and then he hires some guy to come in with a pedal steel and goes it's my country record and it's like I, I didn't want to do that like i wanted to make a really produced interesting record that still kind of jumped around from genres and was and was you know did different things song to song and so that was sort of what that that ralph champagne record was i was very very proud of that i mean i i really think it, it's been a pretty great couple of years for me because it's rare that, you know, I'm in my late 50s and to come out with, you know, kind of a, a, a solo record that was a whole departure and a whole new character. And then to, and then to reinforce the dwarves with this record and be like, nah, we're not giving up on this either. You know, it was very like, uh, you know, empowering, as the kids might say. Right. It was very like uh, I'm still alive, you know, and I'm still here. And, and I do see a lot of people who pick up on my newest stuff and then they're just kind of like, wow, I can go back and listen to another 12 records. Like, fuck, yeah, you know, like it's 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 cool that, you know, it, I, I wish it was a big marketed thing. I wish there were a lot more people because I, I feel like there's at this point, there's a lot of people who would really enjoy this band. Oh, yeah. And they still will just never get to hear it. You know, plenty of fans of Green Day would go like, I like this record but they're not going to hear it, you know? And so that, that still is, is tough on me and causes some, some, you know, some, some bad days, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, I, I got into this to make art and to not, you know, to get some pussy and not have to work a day job and all those things came true, you know? So I'm, I want to be happy with it. Um, and as long as I can keep making cool records and, and the other big part that we haven't even talked about is just my friends, you know, I mean, the guys in the dwarves are fucking great. They're not just players. They all write songs, you know, and, and, you know, a guy like Fresh Prince of Darkness guitar, I mean, he writes these songs and he's so good, not just at coming up with musical ideas, but also lyrical ideas that people would swear it's me. Or like Salt Peter was always very good at that. You know, he writes a song and you're just like, oh, well, Blag, you, you know, fuck them all. That's one of your classics. I'm like, I didn't write that, you know, but you would just assume that I did because Salt Peter captures me so well. And so now I've got all these guys in the group that really can capture what I'm trying to do. And so you just get all these friends and then guys come in like Josh Freeze, where it's just like, fuck, man. I mean, this guy's like 
huge celebrity guy now. I mean, he's fuck. He's in the biggest band in the world now. Yeah. And yet these people will still come in and play with me, Nick Oliveri and these different guys where it's like, fuck, man, you know, it, it, it's really lucky. I just feel super lucky. And then with the young guys coming up, you know, we a few years ago, we got a drummer, Snoopock, and he is great and gives a whole kind of thrash element. He comes from a thrash band out of Arizona called called Get a Grip. And so he's got a different thing. And then he kind of got me back into old hip hop records because he collects that. And so it's very like, you know, it, 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 I view it like kind of the Wu-Tang Clan of punk is what the doors are. Like the old guys stay in, but we bring in young guys and we keep doing shit and it keeps morphing, but it, but you, it's still recognizably us, you know? And, it, and it's just, it's just very gratifying, man. I mean, I, I just feel lucky as fuck. I see these people and everybody in their band hates them, you know, and the fuck, who, who are the guys that were having a fight? The Brian Jonestown massacre or yeah. whatever, right? They had a big fight on stage. We're still getting in a fight, you know, and, and it's just like, you know, and the guys from the Eagles had a fight who gets 15 million and who gets 10 million, you know, and the <laughs> guys from Brian Jonestown, right? They have their fight, you know, who's the, you know, it, it's probably over who stole whose dope in the dressing room. You know, it's like, none of you motherfuckers are doing are doing it for the right reason yeah and you and you, and it's just obvious you know and and it's just like fuck man you know like i i'm glad i still have my friends you know i mean there's some people that left the band that don't like me and whatever it's not it hasn't all been roses but you know so many of these guys i mean a guy like saul peter we, we went to high school together you know it, so it's just like it, yeah it's been really nice to just to have friends that didn't leave you. <laughs> yeah. But I was talking to Vag the other day because he's coming on and I mentioned to him that I was going to be talking to you and he's like, that's awesome. I love black. Like there's that, there's that, uh, that love didn't really go away. He just didn't want to play anymore. Like, that, right. You know? exactly. like, and especially with Vag, because I never made any secret about that. He was my favorite. Everyone knows that he's, my favorite and like i won't talk to him for five years and he's still my favorite like he's just bad he's so you know he's just such a rock and roll guy to me and so hilarious and the things i've watched him do and the things i've heard him say and and, and he just you know talk about like your heart's in the right place you know bad he's so decadent but yet he's so like fundamentally kind and he's just He's just a great guy, you know, and it, it, and you know he doesn't bother to come see me. We're gonna be right there near Dallas. I wanted him to come out. He's like, ah, oh, no, I'm not coming. I'm like, oh, okay, man, you know. I mean, it's just like, all right, you know, whatever you want to do, you know. I mean, it's like, yeah, some of these guys who've been at this band, they just they just mean everything to me, you know. They're 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 my guys, you know. Salt Peter, we've been cracking jokes on each other for forty years, man. I wake up to him making fun of me every day you know and and just like all you know all these people man it, it's just really you know like nick oliveri i mean i'll never forget nick i took his band caius on their first tour you know i remember calling nick we had rented a van we weren't supposed to take it out of the state it fucking totally took a shit we were in arizona you know i call this guy I barely know him he's from some band i barely know we played a few shows with them I go, hey, man, we're kind of stuck, you know. I, I don't know what to do. Like, can you tow us? You know? <laughs> He's like, I'll be right there, you know. And sure enough, this kid shows up, you know, 20 years old, 
the, the chain and a tow bar <laughs> drags my van over the California line and we dump it, you know and I mean? It was just like shit like that. Like, just like, you know, I mean, whereas then I look at like, you know, these other, other guys and they're just fighting each other over this bullshit. And they're, they're so, you know, they, they have no grace. They have no generosity and they, they just like get older and madder about everything. I mean, I think that was the good thing about, not being real successful, you know, because the guys I saw get real successful in the 80s and 90s, you know, and that I was so jealous of just because I did, I, I needed money, I needed to live, I, I wanted somebody to recognize my band, and you get so jealous, but like years go on, and now it's like, fuck, man, I, I have, I enjoy my life, and I still have my friends, I look at those guys and it's like they fall into one of two categories every time. Either they're just mad at everything because they don't have eight roadies anymore kissing their ass and, and, and you know, shows don't pay some ridiculous amount and their manager won't call them back or whatever it is. Or they're just fucking drunk and high all day because it's like, remember when we were cool, you know, and now we're not anymore, you know. And so it, it, the way things worked out was great, you know. I, I'm not totally forgotten. But it's still like when you discover this band, you're like seeing this cool thing. Like, hey, did you hear these guys? You know, people are always coming up to me. <laughs> and it's kind of a left-handed compliment. You know, they'll, they'll see the band play and it'll be like, wow, I, I didn't think I liked you guys, but you guys are actually real good. You know, I'm like, oh, thanks for noticing. You know, yeah, we are actually real good, you know. And, and I don't know why you decided 20 years ago that you didn't like me, but whatever the reason was, you know, okay, welcome to the shit, you know. But the thing is, I think even had you guys gotten to Green Day levels, I don't think there ever would have been that point where it would have stopped being punk rock and it would have stopped being the dwarves. I I can't imagine you guys writing a like a, a really heartfelt power ballad. Like I don't know if that's fully in you. I think it'd be, I think it would be an offhanded like like sideways type of thing right yeah you know not exactly self-serious well you know? also, i think you got to be real about yourself i mean you know man in the 1980s i would take some chick home and go fuck her and invariably there would be a picture of chris cornell on the wall that she was looking at while she was fucking me you know it's like yeah. you just have to admit that some guys are cuter than you and you just have to admit that some guy i mean i saw john baptiste on tv the other day i mean pretty safe to say he's more talented than me i mean it's like i think you have to be able to admit that kind of shit and i think that's part of why i make good records because when i met eric valentine i was like well this guy knows a lot more about production than me so i'm going to listen to him and do what he said and when i met john you know josh freeze it was like well i'm going to let this guy play the drums he wants to play because i don't really know and every once in a while i'll throw him a direction but for the most part you know he's doing what he's doing you know, because he knows what he's doing. Whereas I think the more egotistical guys were real control freaks and they had to control every part of it. And I, I've been accused of, of being a control freak and I know I am in, in, in some ways, but, you know, I, I'm a control freak in terms of figuring out what makes it dwarves. But in terms of telling everybody what to do or shutting down their avenues, I, I don't do that. You know, I, I let you do what you're good at and what's interesting and and yeah i don't think the doors as conceived could have ever been as big as something like green day because part of why green day works is because 
it colors within the lines of a certain genre of music and does it quite well. And then within the coloring those it within those lines, they write good songs. And so when you do those two things, you, you're much more likely to 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 get huge. You know, um, it's it's uh, you know that's just the way that that goes. And then a lot of it's just right place, right time in terms of the genre and what you're playing, you know. The only time we were kind of close to right place, right time was, you know, mid to late 90s when I was writing stuff like Everybody's Girl and One Time Only, and it was like pop punk. And so it kind of made sense to what was on the radio, you know. And I think Epitaph could have done a lot better job in terms of making some videos for us and hyping that stuff. But, you know, they had some internal stuff going on there at the time, and it just didn't didn't work, you know, but, but, um, you know, yeah, I think there were, I, put it this way. I mean, the dwarves are not going to be headlining the biggest festival, but we should be like maybe two from the top instead of like two from the bottom, like we are, you know what I mean? So it's like that, that's kind of where the range is. Like we, we could go up a couple spot spots at the festival and we could go up a few grand in the money we get. And I would be happy with that. I think that's about what we deserve and what we are. You know, um, I, I'll see other bands with the love for them is much more intense and different than the love for us. You know, because part of the love people have for a band like like Nirvana or, or Green Day is a love for the fact that they deliver a certain thing without disappointing and without scrambling your brain and making you look for something else and going, okay, you know, we did this, but then we changed that. You know, they, they're in there in the same way that like, you love your Elvis Presley record or you love your Rolling Stone record and they, they gave you what you wanted from them, you know? So I think there, there's, you know, the Dwarves were really never going to be a band like that. But I think when the great roll call is called, you know, our, our records hold up a lot better and there's so many more of them than a lot of the bands from any of these eras, the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s that, you know, uh, we're making punk records. I mean, I, I, I think we, our legacy at this point really stands alone, you know. I, th I think that I feel kind of, I've always felt the opposite way about the Dwarves because I was never disappointed with, and I always got what I wanted from the Dwarves. And I think what I always expected was just to, you know, be ex titillated, excited, and challenged. And I think that has always occurred with each passing record because it's it's never it's never quite the same there there's a there's the same intensity and the same uh lust for the project itself which is very apparent very obvious and it it's, makes it fun for someone like myself but it's never this like you know yeah no i got you well you're you're our ideal fan you know you're the fan that gets it and that's kind of who I'm doing it for. Um, you know, I do it for the people that want it. And again, it's kind of like I do the albums for people like you who get it. I do the singles for like, hey, maybe anybody could get into this. I mean, anybody listening to Serious Faction Radio should be able to listen to We Will Dare and go, this works right next to the Paramore song. You know, yeah. like you should be able to get that. And so it's kind of, yeah, like I kind of make the singles for like everybody, but I make the albums for guys like you. Like one of the best compliments I ever got was when 
you know, a guy who was a fan of the band uh, was saying, oh, man, I'm really stoked for you guys to make a new record. This was a few records ago. And I said, yeah, well, we got a new one in the can, man. Would you would, would you like to hear it? And he goes, well, have you sequenced it yet? And I was like, no, you know, but there's songs. He's like, no, I don't want to hear it till you sequence it. And I'm like, wow, man, you know, like this guy's a real fan because he yeah. knows it's not even just about the songs. It's about exactly when one song ends and the next one begins and whether there's a crossfade and how it goes, you know, and whether there's a sample before it and what happens, you know, and this is like a guy who's really listening to this band correctly the way that we're supposed to be listened to, you know? Yeah, and, and you're not going to get that with everyone because the intelligence level of every human being on Earth, it, we're not all on the same baseline, and that's not a no. slight slight to anyone. We all experience life differently. Have you been to the DMV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's a, I think there, there's something similar between a majority of people who are fans of the Dwarves, and that is they're an, more open-minded and and more accepting aspect of the punk community you know because we're looking for something that's going to be challenging something that's not just going to pander to you know what this month's you know uh whatever sensitivity is yeah know? and and the thing is like for people like that, like I remember when the International Noise Conspiracy record came out, and a lot of people uh, were made a, made a big uh, deal on that. Or was it International Noise, or was it the band they had before that? Refused, maybe. Refused. When the Refused record came out, a lot of people were like, "Damn, this is a whole new thing," and I liked it too and thought it was interesting. But again, it was like in the punk community, like that's what they want for a brand new thing. Like, ooh, this sounds different, but it sounds the same throughout the record. I think what made the dwarves just a little bit more difficult was like, hey, this sounds different, but then you did something that sounded the same as your last record, and then you did something that sounded like three records ago, and then you did something else, you know, that sounds like Limp Biscuit. I don't really get it, you know? And it was like, <laughs> well, shit, dude, like, you know... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like when we did uh, Come Clean and I threw in Over You and a lot mm. of people were like, what the fuck is this? It's like some new metal from the, from the, and I didn't even like new metal, but I was like, I was like double kick. Yeah. And that song seemed to kind of work. And I was like, well, this is interesting. And, and, and again, this is like a single that would work on the radio right now. So what the fuck? Like, let's do that. But let's see how it ties in with the Dwarves record. And what winds up happening is, you don't gain any new fans because all the people that only like that don't want to hear the rest of your record. But then you alienate a bunch of your regular fans and go, why'd you throw that in? You know, or you, or when we threw in like hip hop, it was like, well, fuck you, you know, you're selling out. And it was like, not really, dude, because no hip hop fans are going to go buy this record, but we pissed off a bunch of people who like punk records. So it was, I think the, there, there are a certain amount of people in punk who want something new, but they usually want something new and then just that throughout the record. In yeah. terms of wanting something new every 30 seconds or every minute, that was the thing with the dwarves that has kind of made these last 20 years, 25 years, kind of hard to swallow for people. You know, it's like, you, you know, because Blood Guts, I mean, you, you know, it was same production style throughout. Even yeah. like uh, Young Good Looking, that sort of started the genre jumping. It was still pretty much pop punk throughout. So, you know, you, it, 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 people are more comfortable with that. Yeah. 
that leads me to my next thing. I only have one pre-prescribed question I ask everyone, just because it kind of gives me an idea of what kind of what sort of a person they are. Really, uh, what is it that terrifies you on an existential level? Wow. I mean, I guess you know, as a performer, it's just being forgotten. You know, when my records were all out of print and nobody seemed to know who we were and the internet wasn't big yet. And it was just, that gave, that gave me a feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like it was all for nothing and you just forgot everything, you know? So there's that kind of in my ego, personal performer world. In terms of like, as a human being, what really scares me is, you know, um, you know, you, it, the environmental thing that we're we've just been ignoring forever and we continue to ignore and it, now it's coming true and it really is going to be the death of us you know and i think i'll just skate by in terms of my lifespan yeah. but just knowing that people are like squeezing the life out of the planet you know that in terms of existential things that that's a hard one and i think the other one is like watching people you know um embrace these these right wing far right um characters you know because a lot of people will talk to me about that because because i'm such an unpc guy mm -hmm. they assume that i'm just you know uh uh tied maybe in some way tied in with like right wing thought or whatever when really nothing can be further from the truth yeah. all of the jobs i ever had were like blue collar shit jobs so to me i'm all about working class people and and you know unions and putting the money back where it belongs and the people that make shit and so you know it's like the right wing demagoguery to the point where you know there's a coup attempt and still people don't give a shit yeah and still they tell themselves a lie about it and still like it's the only time in my life that i ever cried for this country and cried for what we represented and, and cried for the fact that this person was being compared to like Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln. It, it was like, wow, you know, this, cause, cause it was much deeper than like political affiliation or who do you like this week or, or what do you think about deficit spending or some bullshit like that? It was like, wow, this country is based on this really important idea. And we just had an insurrection we just had a coup and, and, still you can't accept that still you can't accept how shameful that is and the, and you know the uh, that that was very that gave me existential angst for the for really for the first time in a patriotic way that was that was very like because you know doors were never a politically active band per se and i'll have conversations with people about this stuff but i really don't put it into my art mm -hmm. And I also was never very comfortable with the whole kind of snotty left wing looking down on working class people because, you know, I, I sort of came from a very educated family and a nice sort of suburban world. And then I didn't have a college degree. So I, I got plunged into like what it means to be a working class person. And I spent 15 years working all the shit jobs, whether it was in a restaurant or working six years in a factory or working in fucking, you know, retail. I, I've done every shit job that you can do. And so I saw, uh, you know, subsistence level wages and how working people are treated. And so I was really never comfortable with that whole kind of left wing looking down on working people thing. But 
then when I saw this, the reaction to that from working people, which was this kind of blind, weird tribal acceptance of wealthy people imposing a bunch of bullshit on you just because you want to be like, you're all worried about who gets to go to what toilet or who gets to do whatever. Like it was so, it was such a bastardization of what it actually means to be working class and to actually know what it means to have to try and put food on your table or help your family or do whatever. So that for me was kind of an existential hard, hard thing, you know, because I've been sort of sticking up for the working class for most of my life and saying, you people don't understand what it, what it's like to have to do this. And then to watch them so so willingly smile and go along with a coup and just be yeah. like fuck america and i don't believe in anything and and i don't believe in our judges and i don't believe in our in our political system and i don't believe in the dmv or the irs or the cdc everybody's lying to me everybody's a crook everybody's a criminal you know and it was just like you know what you're shitting on your fellow americans you're yeah. shitting on everybody who isn't you and your and your wife you're shitting on everybody who's not your next door neighbor or doesn't go to your church. It's like, that's un-American, you know? So, so I, I don't know. Yeah. It's been, it, it's, it's been a very disconcerting few years. If you, if you care about democracy, yeah. you know, if you, if you, if you have any belief in it at, at all, and, and it's sort of the rise of identity over everything to the point where you don't even care about political systems anymore. And you don't even see them as representative of anybody you know it, it's that that one scares me and the environment scares me but then on a personal level it just comes down to you know myself like well, are you gonna forget me you know are you gonna are you gonna forget what i had to say and what i did you know so i think we're all greedy and shitty and solipsistic inside and the question is like well then but how do you treat people because if you don't treat people that way, then congratulations, you know, you're being a, a, a cool person, you know. But I think we're more and more we're a country where it doesn't matter whether you're right, left or indifferent. You, you, you know, what you all have in common is you only care about yourself and your little group and you don't give a fuck about anybody else. And you're ready to shit on every other group. You know, you may either you hate Billy Bob from North Carolina and you can't stand him or you fucking hate, you know, Tariq from 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 Syria or whatever it is. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like you, you it, it's it, 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 the right and left have this in common now, this intolerance and hatred of everybody that doesn't fit your little identity mold. You know, that's I see. I see Biden the same way I see Trump. And and it's it it might be a prevailing thing with some people now. It's certainly not with the left. Everyone's very much like, oh, a vote. If you're not voting for Biden, you're voting for Trump. It's like, no, man. Biden's a fucking warmonger. Biden is. Biden's a right winger, in the guise of of a Democrat. He's the least liberal Democrat I've seen in office in my entire life, truly. Um, it, he's funding the extermination of the Palestinian people. Like you're okay with this guy? Like we should expect. Yeah, I mean, more. there's a whole discussion to be had about that, and there's probably yeah. a lot of things in what you just said that I disagree with. But this okay. is probably a good time to to break away from that conversation, not okay. because I want to, I want to, I want to jettison it, and it's not worth having, but because 
it won't give people the right idea about where I'm really coming from or where oh. you're really coming from. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's, I, I understand what you're saying and I've heard a lot of this and I do agree that there's enough blame to go around for all parties, for all countries, for all identities, you know, but yeah. that's sort of the point that I was trying to make is that if, if we, if as, as an individual, as a political individual, what I'm trying to do is bring us all together. As right. an artist, I'm really doing just the opposite. As an artist, I'm just trying to scream, me, 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 suck my dick, think that I'm brilliant, you know? And yeah. and and so it's very, it's, it's hard to differentiate those two things, you know? It's hard to differentiate the like political side of yourself where you're trying to inject some subtlety into things but ultimately bring everybody together with like the artist side of me with the artist side of me is just like a madman that just does you know wants to either murder everybody or fuck everybody you know what i mean or own everything and possess everything and you know it's very that's what i grapple with is like the difference between the me that's like you know I had a friend invite me over for Thanksgiving dinner and I was glad to be there. We had a nice time, you know, like that was just yesterday. But then now I'm talking about my band and it's like, yes, you know, everyone should fucking, you know, the doors fucking roll were the greatest group ever. Fuck everybody. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's, that's really the place where, um, that's really a, 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 where, what I grapple with as a human being, like right. trying to understand the me that made this art versus the me that's actually me you know and what is the difference of where do the what's the venn diagram where do those things overlap and where do they where are they separate you know i have an idea of that and and i think where it truly lies because I've, i never had it in my head that like you'd said before uh people see this hedonistic and and very un-pc lyrical content and think okay he's gonna have something in common with me as this ultra right winger Whereas right. I, I'd never gleaned that ever once because I, back in the olden days, liberals were like, oh, you're doing your thing. Awesome. Right. We used to be the free speech people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that was, yeah, exactly. I, I but, what, but what I, where I see like how you're grappling with id and ego, uh, it makes sense that you're externalizing and, and, and taking all of this stuff that could be construed as negative personality traits, putting them into song, spitting them into the world. To me, that's an exorcism because sure there are aspects of you, but that's an aspect of every animal. There is also that aspect of you that's terrified that the environment's going to shit and that, you know, Trump might get another four years and completely deep six us into a Nazi regime. Uh, you can be both of those things. And that's okay as long as the prevailing sentiment is always worrying about what's going to happen to not only yourself but the people people you love and the people you see on the street and worrying about you know the working class i'm a union man you know that's yeah like i would be good with trump getting murdered i i would feel really yep. good about that but i don't okay. want to murder the 80 million people that voted for him, you know, or 70 million, whatever it was. They're just scared. Uh, you know what I mean? Like those people I want to, I just want to shake them awake and go, Hey man, you know, like a coup is not like 
we ain't Guatemala, dude, please. <laughs> like, let's not have a coup, you know? Um, and, and if you have to explain that to people and then get this torturous explanation of how it wasn't actually that and all this shit, and it's just like, oh, dude, you know? But yeah, I mean, this, these are the times that we live in, you know? I, I'm, I'm, I'm stubbornly hard to pigeonhole, but I also, you know, um, an old saying about liberals is, you know, a liberal is someone who won't take their own side in an argument. And I'm definitely somebody who will take their own side in, in an argument. So, you know, I, I, I've never been terribly comfortable with the political labels that were offered to me, but I spent my life doing working class jobs and not having a degree. And yet coming from a family full of people with advanced educations, and so I've really seen the difference between how the how the groups stack up, and and you know I don't blame working class people, and I include myself among that for being angry. The question is, you know, um, you know, if you go to one dentist and then he doesn't fix your tooth, so then you go to a different dentist and he doesn't fix your tooth either. Do you then say, well, I'm going to go to a carpenter and have him drive a nail through my face? You know, <laughs> like you you can't just give up. And go, oh fuck, you know, just a pox on everybody. I'm just going to destroy everything. It's like, well, no, that's that's not really the solution either. You got to use some brain work, think your way through it, and get to a better place. And we've been in worse places. I mean, we had a civil war, and yeah. we, you know, we ended it, and we came out of it with some some better views about things. So, you know, we, we the, the, there's hope. Uh, you know, I never believe that there's no hope. But I'm kind of glad to be old, you know, because I think for young people, uh, it's it's looking a lot more hopeless than it did when I was young, you know, and and that's a shame, you know. I if if I were young, I think I would. I, I understand their hatred toward us. I understand the okay boomer mentality because we really did loot the economy in such a way that they can't get a house and they can't get a car and they can't get ahead. And that is really on sort of the hippie generation that came before mine and, and my generation, Generation X. I mean, we really, we looted the economy. And, and, you know, if you're a young person now, I really don't blame them for saying, get the fuck out, especially when like our political leaders just won't leave. I mean, one thing that infuriates me about Biden, Trump, Pelosi, uh, you know, uh, 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 fucking McConnell, they're all from different parties and they all believe different things. But the one thing they all have in common is they're all fucking 80 years old. It's like, yeah. like will you ever leave and give these young people a chance ever? We, or, or do you, I mean, here in California, Diane Feinstein, she thought she was the Pope or something. She, yeah. she couldn't fucking think anymore. She was non-compass mentis, but she just had to die in office clinging to power for the last possible second. I mean, you know, so I, I don't just come in and say, yeah, I love Democrats. You know, it's like she was a Democrat. You know, it's like I, I don't like these people who are clinging to power and insisting that they must be all powerful until they cease breathing. You know, I mean, it, it's very I, I, I really don't blame young people for being disgusted with old people in, in general. I mean, I hope it doesn't manifest itself in pushing them down a flight of stairs you know, but it's like, I understand why they're sick of us. Sure, but our, our generation hasn't even taken power yet, if you think about it that way, because it's right. still the baby boomers. Gen yes. X has not even made it into positions of power yet. Uh, I think by the time we're able to get there, we won't have it in us to do so. Yeah, yeah, that it's true. Yeah, it, it's the hippie generation was the worst generation. The baby boom was the worst one. And they really... 
they really did loot the economy and they really have held to power in a way that's that's uh, shameful you know at least we could take it you know as, as i guess uh, we, we could take comfort in the fact that we never did get to take over <laughs> right you know? i mean i think i don't do i think we would do much better probably not yeah i mean we have we have taken over the economy quite a bit and yeah. we haven't been very kind about that we're represented by the musks and the bezoses and the and the zuckerbergs and they are uh, uh, set out a very disgusting thing and that's the other thing you know i think it's it's kind of a sham when people dwell too much on biden pelosi trump mcconnell i mean to me the enemies of the state are people rich people and the enemies of the state are the wealthy who who you know control the political system anyway and and you know i mean things happen like you know i i was stuck a year ago uh in that crazy uh southwest airlines thing i got stuck for for several days at at denver airport uh unable to get out nowhere to sleep difficult to find you know uh, uh, any any place to go besides a bench in the in in the thing caused me to miss several shows that we had booked cost me thousands thousands of dollars but you know i'm sitting in this in in this thing and, and i and what really struck me was how well behaved we all were as consumers who had been fucked over i didn't hear anybody saying hey man i want to kill the guy that runs southwest airlines or i want to kill the motherfuckers that stole all this money from me and fucked me over for their own profit but yet people are ready to fucking march into nancy pelosi's house and hit her with a hammer i mean you know, it, it's it, it, the to me the people who are the real enemy of the state are people like Elon Musk that are against unions and people like Bezos pushing this stupid convenience at all costs bullshit. <clears throat> you know, so for me, yeah, it's big big business is really what infuriates me. Well, the billionaire class that wasn't really a thing twenty five years ago. There there may have been like four on Earth. Now right. there's like upwards of 50, if not better. And, yeah, and their, their greed and the greed they showed after the uh, <clears throat> pandemic, when some of them just piled up ridiculous amounts of money <clears throat> and didn't see fit to give any of it back and cranked up, you know, while, while they were soaking up government largesse and the money that was being given out and making huge profits. And then, you know, how do they pay us back? Huge rates of inflation. Let's make even more. I mean, you're going to sit around and blame the president for inflation? Come on. Yeah, this, is like, this is like rich people in business going, yeah, we can squeeze them for more, so we're going to do it. And yet, I, I see us as very compliant sheep to these big companies. We never talk about, hey, man, let's let's murder one of them. Let's yeah. fucking kill one of them. Or, or a milder version, let's boycott them or let's get rid of it. You know, it's like, but I hear people talking about killing politicians all the time or voting them out or boycotting them. So it's very like, you know, I think people should start making that connection between the very wealthy and and how they're destroying us, you know, and instead of just always bringing it back to like, well, you, you're just jealous. You know, it's like, no, I'm not, you know, I'd like to have some money. I'd like to have a million bucks. It'd be wonderful. I don't need a billion dollars, you know, no. and I and I and I don't admire people that have that. And I think of them as greedy. And and so, you know, I, I think we need to bring back that word greed 
because we've forgotten what it means. We're just okay with it. You know, we're just okay with people being greedy. It's like, well, of course, everybody's greedy. It's like, I'm not. Not know? to the point of sociopathy. Right, exactly. And and to them, it's a sociopathic compulsion. Uh, uh, this, this billion needs to be five. This five needs to be 25. Right. Uh, I can't imagine needing, in, in, at this point in my life, more than, if I had $3 million, I'd probably be okay. <laughs> yeah, $3 million would be nice. You know, and, and the thing is, too, think about it. Like, if somebody has a billion dollars, and you even want to say, well, they worked hard, and they were smart and crafty, and they, they did good things, and they got a lot of money, and they're no. supplying jobs and bullshit. If you leave all that aside for a minute, it's like, look, if you have a billion dollars, you can field a mercenary army. Yep. If you have a billion dollars, you can get a hold of a, of a nuclear weapon. If you have a billion dollars, you could build the better part of an air force. <laughs> I mean, I just don't want individuals to have the ability to do any of that. Money is power. So when you give individuals that much money, even if you think that's just good old-fashioned red-blooded capitalism, it's also like I don't want an individual to have as much money as a country. I don't want an individual to be able to field a mercenary army against me. Osama bin Laden was a rich guy from a rich family. And so they were able to, you know, create a mercenary army and do these things. Like, I, I, I view it as self-defense. It's not just, I don't want you to get rich because I'm so jealous of you. Or I don't want you to get rich because I'm a communist. And I think everybody should have the same amount of money. I don't want you to get rich because I don't want you building a bomb or a fucking dropping napalm on me. I don't want you fielding a police force of a thousand people that can fucking lock me up. I, I, you know, it's like I, I don't want individuals to have that kind of power and money gives them that kind of power. So to me, it's like, fine, you can earn as much money as you want. But at a certain point, we should have a 100 percent tax rate. Yeah. And it's just like, cool, you pile up all the money you want. A 100 percent of it goes to the U.S. Treasury. And if you don't like it, get the fuck out. I'm fine with that. You yeah. know. Because you know, like the more there is, the more blood there is on it, and and that's that's Absolutely. just that's just like good math. But <laughs> yeah. people like to bandy around this word oligarchy. I've heard it used by the right a lot, um, even though their their big figurehead was in fact an oligarch at one point or another because he was rich at one time. I, I don't believe he is now uh, in Trump. But these people, when the rich control, that is textbook oligarchy. So our oligarchs right now are not the people they're pointing out. It's Elon Musk. It, it's, it's Amazon. It's, it's Apple. It's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and they're the ones who yeah, are... We have oligarchs. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they're shameful. And they're driving the way this country's headed. They are keeping people afraid enough and ignorant enough to engage in an insurrection against their homeland. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. I'm, I'm not a big flag waving, uh, patriotic American in the eyes of maybe uh, some other folks in this world, but I am very much a fan of this land and the people in it. Yeah, me too. And me too, absolutely. I don't apologize for America. I, I you know, in comparison, we, we still come off pretty fucking good, but we're, uh, yeah, we're starting to lose it. You know, speaking of blood and oligarchs, I got tickets to go see Napoleon. Oh. So I got to bail pretty All soon. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's been a fascinating conversation. I enjoyed it. I'm really not disappointed. And, uh, you know, I've been this massive fan since I was a very young person. And I, I just want to thank you for 
the past Jesus Christ, like thirty some odd years of my life. Uh, well, it wouldn't have been for you to say, man. That, it, that's why I'm doing it. So I appreciate you. And this record is, as I said in the beginning, a motherfucker. And everyone needs to go and buy it and listen to it because there really is something for everyone on this album. The Dwarves concept album. Yes. All right, right. Black. Thank you again, my friend, and I hope to talk to you again. Send me a link, buddy. I'll check it out. All right, brother. Cheers. Take it easy. You too. And there you have it, my friends, my discussion with Blag of the Dwarves. I hope you all enjoyed yourselves. Uh, We have a couple more episodes before Christmas. We're going to take a slight break, and then we will be back in 2024. Hopefully, the war will be over between Israel and Palestine. The war will be over between Russia and the Ukraine. And all will be well. I doubt it, but I hope so. He's been Blag. I've been Peter. You've been beautiful. And this has been the book of Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. Good night.